0: Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Buzz Hannon, and I am so excited to have you here at this, the very first episode of the Three Crosses podcast. Here at Three Crosses Church, as you know, we are all about life transformation through following Jesus Christ. And our hope is that this podcast will help you take some next steps in that journey of life transformation. We want to help you understand how the Bible impacts your life, Uh, sometimes that'll be through a sharing of information or some teaching moments, or we might be connecting you to some amazing stories, uh, some testimonies from people right here in our own church community that have had their lives changed by following Jesus Christ. Our hope is that these podcasts will equip and help you to do the same. It's always our goal is to help you see how Jesus Christ is alive and moving and active in your life and how he might change you as you follow him. This particular uh, episode, our first one, as I said, is going to be connected to our Sunday morning series about the Shema. Uh, That was preached on June 24th by yours truly. Uh, You can find a link on our sermons page, threecrosses.org slash about hyphen us slash sermons. And you can watch or listen to that. I love to listen to sermons uh, when I'm not at church. Sometimes I'm at church and I might just be tired or Technically, I'm at work, and so I'm sometimes busy doing something, or my kids page me from the kids' ministry, or I find it more important to have a conversation with someone, or maybe I'm just running late, and I can't focus on the message. I love to find times in my day or in my week that I can come back and listen to that message or listen to a message from a different church and always be learning, always be thinking, always be meditating on the scriptures. I listen to podcasts a lot when I drive or when I do dishes or... um and yes, I do dishes. Uh, I used to listen to them when I mow the lawn, but here in California, all my grass burned up, so I don't have to mow the lawn very much. Uh, so if you're not familiar with podcasting as a, as a venue and are just checking this out because you heard about it on Sunday, welcome. Uh, my hope is that you can find some time to connect with the Lord throughout your week that's not constrained to you coming up to the church campus. Maybe you're trapped on the Bay Bridge during your commute and you want to figure out what Deuteronomy has to say to you in your life. You have come to the right place. So over the next six weeks, concurrent with our Sunday morning series on Shema, we're going to go a little bit deeper and take a second look behind the curtain as to what this passage has to say to us. Uh, Here, this first week, uh, I'm so excited to have my good friend, Dr. Bill Lyons, come and share with us a little bit about what he does and how he teaches people to study the Bible for themselves. As much as I just was singing the praises of podcasting, and as much as I love preaching and Sunday morning service, and there's no substitute for being together with other believers, there's none like it, we still have the responsibility to teach and train ourselves as students of the word. Students of the Bible, and seeing how it can transform us as adult mature believers, we feed ourselves as it were. Dr. Lyons has so much energy and he's going to connect you to so many different resources and sometimes you're going to feel like, "Whoa, I need to rein you in. You might even hear me try to tuck him back onto the path at a time or to Um, So if you miss uh, the title of a resource that he names, or you're not quite sure what he's talking about, at the end of the cast, I'll come back on here and share some of those with you at a little bit slower pace, and we will link those for you right here in the show notes. If you can get anything from Dr. Lyons, I hope that you catch his love for the Lord evidenced in his love and care and passion and discipline in studying the scriptures. Dr. Lyons works at Oral Roberts University as where he teaches Old Testament literature. And to get a glimpse into that, I'm so happy and thrilled that he shared some time with me and with you by extension. So without further ado, let's get to that interview. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Today we have a special treat. I am here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Bill Lyons, all the way from lovely, scenic Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Dr. Lyons is a professor of Old Testament at Oral Roberts University, uh, worked in ministry for many years, has a very fancy PhD in Religions of Western Antiquity from Florida State University. And uh, what other credentials do you have that we should know about, Dr. Lyons?
1: Um, I'm a very big Knoll fan, the Florida State Seminoles. That's a credential. Uh, besides that, I have a master's in Hebrew and Semitic languages from the University of Wisconsin. And a little tidbit just for your, the people today, I am a two-time graduate from ORU. My wife and I met as we, when we were undergraduates. And then I did my first master's degree there, and coming back to Oklahoma after being away is sort of odd, because we had a lot of family here, and then they all moved back home or to take jobs or whatever, and now we're back, everybody else is gone, which we call the Divine Comedy, by the way. And um, we're working at ORU with a great bunch of students, I absolutely love it.
0: And ORU is my alma mater as well, and that's how you and I got to know each other, is when I was... Still sojourning there in the Midwest, uh, helping teach students and engage them with the truth of the Bible, how to study well, and how to uh, see how God has revealed himself in the pages of scriptures. And that's what I wanted to talk to you. We we
1: would lovingly refer to you as a lowly, humble graduate student, but no longer, buddy.
0: (laughs) Uh, No, I'm still lowly. I'm still humble, but I'm not a student (laughs) any longer. Not in the professional sense anyway, but I still try to be a student of the Word, and so I'm hoping that we can have a good conversation today that can help others um, engage best practices for encountering the Scripture for themselves. And you've been in the field of Old Testament studies for a long time. Uh, you're the first person that hopped into my mind, and I said, I want to talk to our people through this series on Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema about how to best understand uh, how to use the fruits of the Hebrew language to really make the word of God more immediate in its, in its original context. And so I want to ask you this question. Should we just turn people loose into the wide world of Hebrew, find whatever you find on the Internet, do whatever you do in whatever book, and go for it? It's all helpful. True or false?
1: <laughs> Very false. Um, because when we speak, when we do that kind of study, we usually do one or two words. But when we speak, we speak in phrases in sentences and in paragraphs to communicate what we want to say. And what we want to say might be colored by one or two words, but in its context, it means something else. So if I say, "Uh, son, would you mow the grass? I've got some important meetings I have to be at today, and I need to have the grass mowed so we can go out to the baseball game this weekend. Okay, so what does mow the grass mean? Does it mean the whole yard, the front yard, the backyard? I come home, the front yard's mowed, but the backyard's not. And he says, oh, you want me to do the backyard too? That sort of thing. And I like to teach my students a text without a context is a pretext or an assumed meaning. When I take a word or two out of context and I just study that word, I'm giving, I could be giving it meanings that it doesn't
0: have. So I love what you said about seeing a word in its context, like it, the word is informed by everything around it. Now, we're doing at Three Crosses a series on the Shema, you know, Deuteronomy chapter six, and so on. Um, Love, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, you just challenged us that you can't view a word apart from its context, but if we were going to drill down into a couple of the words and phrases, even perhaps about how we love the Lord with our heart and mind and soul and strength, um, and I want to figure out what does he mean by heart, what does he mean by mind, what does he mean by soul, what does he mean by strength? What are some good ways to inform myself about that without falling into the ditch that you just described for us?
1: You you just gave me a great way, uh, a great illustration, because the Hebrew doesn't say heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, Hebrew says heart, strength, and all that you have, or something like that. It says, um, anyway, it's Luke that puts in mind. So in the New Testament, Luke brings in mind... Whereas in Hebrew, that's not there. It's just heart, strength, and uh, and soul means all that you have. So it's important, first of all, that we distinguish and we read it very carefully. So the first step in any really good study, and if you're doing it for three weeks or something like that, I would have the people memorize it. Memorize it, memorize it. So they don't have to think about it, but it's inside their heart. Then the next step is, what does here mean? that's a good one to look up. Any good commentary, and maybe we should talk about commentaries in a little bit, any good commentary is going to focus in on what does here mean. And it's more than just here, it's got the sense of obey, or understand, or be formulated, or uh, directed by this idea. Listen. I'm telling you the truth. And put it in the context of of a polytheistic, ancient, Near Eastern context, it was stupid to have one God, Um, even in today's multi-religious context, especially overseas, the idea of there being one God, um, 90% of the people in India, that's a a billion people, they're Hindu, they're not thinking there's one God. So this is radical to us, it's like, oh yeah, it's sort of normal, it's everyday, but for that context, hear O Israel, listen, obey O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God. Uh, The loving is a, um, you know this, is a contractual word. It's not a, um, oh, a Hallmark store, sort of nice card, maybe has flowers in it, maybe even has a little scent in it. That's not the love room. We're talking about commitment. Like Ruth says, where you go, I will go, and you will be my God. Or your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. It's a commitment sort of thing. And you shall be
0: committed. So I, I hear you kind of getting excited about digging into these words, even though you just told me, right, words are informed by context. So we right. hear about things like hearing actually means obedience and love actually means contract and obligation. Um, for somebody that didn't spend you know, years in graduate school, what are some uh, perhaps tips or tricks that they can uh, access some of those root meanings? I
1: right. think every Christian home should have a really good Bible dictionary.
0: And okay, what's, a, what's a Bible on. dictionary?
1: The Zondervan Bible Dictionary is a good one. The Erdman's Bible Dictionary is a good one. The Harper's Bible. These are like one volume, three inch thick sort of things. They're going to have a lot of good stuff in it, And I, I think everybody should have one of those, especially when you start having children, because children are going to ask those questions, and it's like, um, I'm not sure about that. Let me think about it. That means I'm going to go run to the room, grab the book, read about it a little bit, and I'm going to have something informing what I say. And a good lexic, I mean, uh, Atlas is really nice, although there's great stuff online now, so you don't have to buy an Atlas, but to show the children where this is, to blow up the map and see the roads coming in and out, seeing the mountains. Um, When Jesus traveled around in the New Testament, he stayed almost exclusively up in the mountains. He didn't go down to the coast. Only occasionally does he go down to the Jordan and to the Red Sea. He stays up in the mountains, because that's where his ministry was. So, um, I think having a Bible dictionary is good, and then it might be a good time to mention some other commentaries.
0: Well, uh, before we, perhaps before we get into commentaries, uh, could you describe for us a little bit about how a Bible dictionary is different than, like, a Webster's dictionary? Like, I hear that word dictionary, and I'm just envisioning, like, looking up Scrabble words, right? But a Bible dictionary is a little bit different.
1: Let's say you were doing Ruth. You could look up Ruth, and it would have, I don't know, Three pages or so, maybe four, three pages surely on Ruth. And it would have some bibliography at the end that you could go to the library and snag. Even if they have to do interlibrary loan, they could get this stuff and you could do some more reading. Um, and it'll have interconnected articles. So um, you're going through Ruth and it goes to the kinsman redeemer. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. And the Hebrew word for that is uh, goel. Well, you could probably look up Kinsman Redeemer in that dictionary, and it'll probably have online a hot link, or it'll be underlined or something in a hard copy, and you can go and you can read about what is a Kinsman Redeemer. And you get an idea of what this meant back in the good old days. It has a certain contextual meaning 3,000 years ago that, guess what, things changed from the 60s to the 80s, 90s, to the 2018, and we need to know what it meant back then, especially.
0: So, a dictionary, a Bible dictionary, then is like a little less about a quick definition of a word, and it's almost like a little encyclopedia article there for me. Is that what you're saying?
1: Exactly, exactly. And there's another really good book. It's called Hard Sayings of the Bible. And the editor is Kaiser, Walter Kaiser, Hard Sayings of the Bible. That's a doozy. Because in there you can look up uh, stuff like the giants. In, G- in Genesis chapter 6, who were the giants? In Hebrew, the word is Nephilim. And what are these creatures, and why are they there right before the flood story? So, in other words, and that hard things of the Bible is maybe $25 or something. A good Bible dictionary is maybe $35 or something. These are not expensive, and so much of it is digitized now you can probably get it online for almost nothing.
0: So you're talking about hard sayings, dictionaries, atlases. This all seems like a lot of work to be honest. Is there <laughs> is there an easy sayings of the Bible that I can get or is there a way to just download this into my brain without going to a, you know a Bible dictionary like that seems boring. Is there another way? This
1: is not the matrix. I don't have a port on the back of my neck where I can load in how to fly a helicopter or a jet. This is a lifestyle. And I think somewhere in the New Testament it says, Study to show thyself approved, a king in King James, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's having is worth working for. And this is a lifestyle adjustment. We are to study. And we are to obey, hear, Israel. Um, and it's interesting because right after the Shema, uh, where it says, "Hear, Israel: The Lord God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all all you've got." What's the next phrase? And you shall teach these things to your children. And the word there is "sharpen," the same word for teeth. And you shall sharpen your children. And it's interesting; it's not in a formal. Uh, academic setting but it's every day it's like when you're going out and working in the garage when you're going out to get a hamburger when you're going out to get a milkshake you're supposed to talk about these things whereas we think we just sort of get the kids down line them all up okay now we're going to have a teaching session here and the kids are like oh lord you know as well as I know that late at night that's when the questions come out
0: bedtime yeah Yeah. why Uh, (laughs) that's the toughest question (laughs) because you're tired and they want to stay up
1: yeah, when it's all—it's
0: so, all a scam. But I, you know, especially with teenagers. Um,
1: I have two adult children now. One has just got engaged, and it's all exciting. And, um, but I learned early on that at one o'clock at night, when a teenager wants to talk, if I will just do it, big stuff happens really fast. But yeah. if I choose the time to talk, mm, you know, a good teacher knows. You can see it in your students' eyes when to teach and when you just spent 20 minutes teaching and they learned absolutely nothing. Yeah,
0: that's uh, reminding me of that verse in Peter where it tells you to be ready with an answer for anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And you can't teach your son at 1 a.m. if you haven't put in the work ahead of time to have something good. I
1: I taught at Florida State for years, and I had a lot of NCAA uh, players, um, baseball players, track players huge tight end, no neck massive biceps, really strong guys and they would come in class and it was it was I loved it because um, they would look at me sometimes and say you know you're just so smart I'm, I'm never gonna get there and I'd look at them funny and I'd sort of look around the side of their head and I'd say, well you know when I look at you your brain looks at you about the same size as mine The difference is mine is lean I'm doing the reps yours is fat and lazy I said, if you will do the reps, the Lord will take care of the rest, and after a couple of weeks, and I said, "All you got to do, let's let's make a pack here. Three or four weeks, you do exactly what I tell you, and then and it's going to be smooth sailing." And it happened all the time. These kids are smart. They're sharp. They've got good brains. The whole the whole idea of the, the dumb athlete is is unfortunate because in my situation, I've never met a dumb athlete. What I've, what I've met is athletes that have fallen to stereotypes. And if we give them the time. People respond. Same thing with children. If we talk to them as adults, and these books help us talk to them as adults, if we talk to them as adults, they'll realize it and they'll raise raise up to the bar of where we're going.
0: I love what you said about getting reps done, mental reps, (laughs) repetitions. Um, I think that's so important. You know, I I prayed a lot for huge biceps and a six-pack, and it didn't seem to really happen, you know? There's right. some physical exertion, and I never really had thought about the mental exertion. And so even coming back to thinking about Scripture memory as a discipline, um, right. training my brain to internalize uh, the Scriptures.
1: It's a great discipline because it says your minds are washed by the water of the Word. And the other way the washing happens, the only way the cleansing happens is for memory stuff. And when I teach um, uh, Hebrew classes, not the beginning classes, but the advanced classes, they memorize passages like they do the they do these verses that we're talking about in Deuteronomy chapter six. They memorize it in Hebrew and they have to recite it perfectly. No sloppy agape stuff. They got to memorize it perfectly if they want a good grade to do is once if they memorize it once. It's like, oh, this is so cool. That means I can quote this to anybody. Yeah. Or how about the, the priestly blessing in numbers? Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and give you peace and so on. Memorize that. And then you can do that at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That's sort of cool. You don't have to open the book and read it. You just do it. Here's memory, okay? And I'm not doing this to show off. If I knew Spanish, which I don't know, I would do it in Spanish. But in Hebrew, you should be able to just pop it and say, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Hafta et Adonai Elohecha Me'udecha u'levadecha You can hear the poetry in the words. It's so beautiful. And the King James is so beautiful. When I was younger, I... I memorized King James. It was good enough for Peter and Paul. It's good enough for me. So when I do Bible verses now, I have to—I've I've got to do it out of my brain in King James, and then I have to transfer it over to NIV or the NRSV, whatever it is I'm reading. And it's a funny thing that we go through, but I'm so glad that it's inside of me. And that's the first step to really learning it. And and I believe that if I'm out working in the yard or I'm out doing whatever, having a, a coffee and the Holy Spirit taps on me and says, I'm going to talk to you about with all your strength. What does that mean? I've started reading it. I've read up a little bit in my Bible dictionary. I've read in my study Bible. Um, I've memorized it. So in other words, I put some time in. Now the Holy Spirit can speak to me. If I've done absolutely nothing, it's sort of like me, like like you expecting to get the ripped uh, abs because you never worked out. Or with me, it's like, Playing the piano, baby. I want to play the piano like, like like the worship leaders. I want the gift. And I would sit at the piano and say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to receive. No, and they say, just receive the gift. Okay, I'm ready to receive, baby. And it like it never happened. I have to play my arpeggios. I've got to practice, 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 practice. And somewhere in there, all of a sudden, something clicks. And that's the Holy Spirit working with us. I'm certain of it in my bone marrow. But you got to put in the time.
0: When you're talking about learning the piano, I was just thinking a lot about that movie, Groundhog Day. Did you ever see that movie, Groundhog Day, with oh, Bill that's Murray? one of
1: my favorites.
0: <laughs> we, we watched that with my kids, and they, I don't know why they think it's so funny to see people falling down, but they do. And, you know, Bill Murray goes over there to the piano teacher, and he's paying her thousands of dollars a day. And, uh, turn, I read an article that Groundhog Day is supposed to be, you know, he's trapped there for like five or six or seven years doing all this stuff. And, you know, that's how long it takes to learn the piano. And we want microwave scripture. We want it overnight. We want it right now. We want it, you know, I, I tried reading the Bible once. It didn't work. I quit. Man, there's just got to be more discipline than that. I'm wondering what it's like kind of with that discipline factor uh, among college students today. You know, you still work with undergrad students, 18 to 22 years old. Like, What do you find them like, really good at as a group in terms of approaching Bible study? What challenges are they suffering with?
1: I love working with this group. That is my primary group. I work with graduate students in Hebrew and Aramaic and other, um, they're called cognate languages, other languages surrounding the country of Israel. Um, but my first love, and I will always retain that first love is working with undergraduates. You know, they're at a place like ORU, which is a great university. And, um, they're going to study Old Testament, and they know they know a lot about Old Testament, you know. So they figure they don't need to do the reading. So the first week they don't do the reading, and in my classes, I have a quiz the last day of the week, every week, because it's the only way that you can keep these incredibly energetic, don't-need-to-sleep-for-nights-on-end students online. And so they take the first quiz, and eh, not so good, maybe I, I got four out of five and then the next week they don't read, and they, they get two or three out of five. And then they realize, I have to read. I have to study. Because college is not about presuppositions. College is about learning new things. College is about, it's not the data. I can get the data online anywhere. But it's how do we study the data? How do we, as scholars, um, engage this data And how do we critically analyze it? And then how do we synthesize it into what we are as Christian men and women? It's important that you see that. It's important in the health sciences. Um, Your bedside manner or your lab manner is just as important as your grasp of the data and the math. So one of the things that I see that undergraduates do frequently is they quickly jump into what I call
0: devotional mode. Um, That's a good mode, matters. right? Because you're talking about synthesizing data, making it real for me. Yeah, devotional mode is a good mode, right? It's a
1: great mode. That's what we do. But it robs this. It robs you as a student the journey going through the text and studying it, the hard work of studying it, and then um, it skips over two, three thousand years, and it, all that. All that it says is what it matters to me now. Um. My contention is that the best devotional mode, the best devotions, are those that are those that are focused on really good, uh, quality, biblical textual study, and only after you do that can you or should you then go into the devotion. Uh, devotions are absolutely essential, but the ones that are really shallow are the ones that um, they haven't spent the time studying the text and really digging in. Um, and asking hard questions.
0: This is kind of feeling like bad news, because, I, again, I wanted to jump right to what the text said to me. I wanted your biblical studies expertise to unlock it, and I could just jump right to the good part. And here I am thinking about, man, I've got to do years of study. I've got to buy four-inch-thick books. I've got to <laughs> lean in.
1: They're reference books. Nobody sits and reads through all four inches. But if you need to know something about hardening Pharaoh's heart, Wouldn't it be nice to have something on your shelf that would sort of deal with it a little bit? Why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? What's up with this? Is God implicit in Pharaoh's wrongdoing because he hardened his heart? These are questions that people ask. And it's nice to have some references that you can use. The study and the process of study changes us because it's not just a mental thing, but it's a heart thing. It's an emotional thing. And any student of the Bible knows... I can give you a good example of when the Holy Spirit tapped on my shoulder when I was a student, and it'll take me a minute and a half. I was studying Psalms 95 through 100, and Psalm 95, is it says, give a ringing cry, shout unto the Lord, lots of commands, you know, smash the cymbals, blow the trumpets, and it's all commands, lots of energy, lots of great contemporary kind of worship influence. You can you can see the drummers, you can see the the, the band up on stage and so on. And that's my kind of worship. And then right in the middle of the psalm psalm it stops and it shifts and it says, come and worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord our Maker. And I'm looking at it and I'm studying it and those are all commands. Those are all imperatives just as the words up front are imperative. So you have shout, jump around, sing, blow the trumpets, clash the cymbals, and then it's bow down, kneel, and worship, very quiet worship. And there's two kinds of worship. And at that point in my life, I was yay all gung-ho, the loud, gymnastics, sort of expressive worship. And the Lord said to me very clearly, be careful how you judge others. Because one is not more important than the other. They have grammatical sense. Commands in the first place. Commands in the second place. The same grammatical sense. Be careful how you judge others, son. Can you see the heart? Oh, wow. And I, at that point,
0: I was sort of down on liturgical traditions, you know, that they don't know Jesus the way I know Jesus. And it's like, can you judge the heart? I
1: remember where I was sitting uh in the library when that happened decades ago and i will never forget it so notice what's going on i've got the academic i'm studying the the imperatives i've got my bible dictionaries out i wasn't a great hebrew student at that time but i'm just doing the best i can and then i get the tap on the shoulder son did you see those imperatives yeah and did you see those other imperatives yeah it's the same kind of worship big pause oh no I'm in trouble. No, you're not in trouble. You just should stop being so judgmental.
0: Yeah, I love how you're laying this story out. You're in the library, you're reading books, you're putting in the work, and you had one experience. How many days did you not have that experience and you had your books open (laughs) and you were studying and you were chopping wood? I was better
1: than them, you know? Um, And here, I mean, here's the real key, and that is... um, Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through your studies. Ask the Lord, speak to me as I study. Because we are both teachers, but I am not the teacher. I'm a facilitator. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. My job is to direct you towards the text and to force you to study it. If, in, if you're in my class, you get your scholarship if you don't do well. So that means you got to study it. Okay, so now you have to study like Jesus said, you know, we're supposed to study. And, oh, by the way, when Jesus was young, he amazed the leaders because of his study. Not because he could do miracles, not because he could feed 5,000, but what? Because of his study. So you start doing that, and you and you ask the Lord to speak to you, and he's going to say, what about this verse over here? I, I'll give you another example real quickly. Um, it was this verse fall, which would have been probably September 2017, we were doing Old Testament, and I do the introduction to Old Testament and Old Testament survey all the time, and um, we hit the Ten Commandments, you know, and i I got a lot to do, going through Deuteronomy, I'm blowing through Exodus hit the Ten Commandments, I'm just going to blow through them real fast, so everybody knows it yeah, and I get news. the tap on my shoulder in front of over a hundred students stop here for a minute, i am looking down at my notes I've got lots of stuff to do, I just kept going I got to tap again I said, stop. So I stopped and then talk about, I think it's uh, the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. And I paused and I knew exactly what was going on. There were people in the students among the students that had fathers and mothers that were less than honorable. Yeah. What do you do about that? And I have a, fa- I had a father who was way less than honorable. I'll spare you the details. But when he left us, five boys all under the age of 13, um, I was the only person I knew that was divorced. People weren't divorced. And it was such a stigma. And it was a terrible thing to get through. And I talked about how I got through it with the students. And I said, you know, why is it honor? Honor is so much harder. Why not obey? I can obey somebody, but not honor them. But to honor them? That's another story entirely. And we just talked about it. Looked up at the students, and all of a sudden there's people crying. And I thought, Oh Lord, now what do I do? What do I do? Uh, and he said, Just give me some time. So I just started talking or whatever, and I invited the students to come and talk with me later, and a whole bunch of them came and we just sat down and talked and cried and prayed together. It was so powerful. And it was because I just was studying the text and I got the tap. I wait for the tap. I want you to think about this, son. And sometimes I don't like the tap because the Lord's going to convict me about something. Like, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, but I want to talk about that now. But I really don't want to talk about that. But we need to talk about that. And you can do years' worth of counseling in three or four minutes.
0: (laughs) Years. Yeah. What I kind of hear you saying these ideas about being in the Word, being in the study, allowing the Lord time to work. There's this phrase that's coming to mind that you got to put some skin in the game yourself. You know, you yeah. gotta, you've got to do the work. You've got to do the heavy lifting. You've, there's just no way around it. There's no microwave. You know, I was thinking about the, the lottery winners. You know, and the, so often their wealth is gone in their lifetime. Certainly not to the second oh, yeah. generation, because they weren't ready. They hadn't put in the, the work in a lot of cases, to do the money management and the wisdom, and then these people that are... It's the
1: same way. They make all this money, and some of them have almost nothing when they retire. I mean, when you know, when they get older. Yeah, because they They're hadn't had the, the
0: financial planning reps, and then those other people that had kind of built their own fortune, that had skin in the game, they tend to be a little bit wiser with how they manage it. And just thinking about that with Bible study, like here at Three Crosses, we're so blessed to have Bible teachers every Sunday and in our various community groups around campus teaching the Bible, you know, multiple times a week. And why can't I just rely on their wisdom? Why can't they just hand it to me? And I just hear you saying, you got to put skin in the game and you got to listen to the Lord for yourself.
1: Yourself, yourself. And I mean, obviously being under good teaching is really, really important. Because that's, gonna, that's like having a great coach. They're going to stretch you and, and challenge you and so on. But you have to—you still have to do the reps yourself. You still have to study the plays. You have to memorize what's going on. You have to know each other around you when you're playing a good game and how that person's going to react um, in an adverse situation. And it's the same way with studying the Bible. Um, studying with other people is irreplaceable, but studying by yourself is, is so powerful. So I'm writing an article on Ruth for publication. And so Trish and I decided we're just going to read Ruth raw together over a couple times, read it out loud. And um, Trish, um, being a woman, is going to respond differently than me being a guy. And she's seeing stuff in there that I hadn't seen before. And it's so powerful. And I have studied this. I have translated this several times. I have studied about it with commentators. And it's like working with these different commentator, commentaries and commentators. It's like being in a discussion with you and me. You're just reading it. Uh, uh, but they're going to disagree with each other and they're going to argue back and forth and Trish and I disagree sometimes and we talk about what's going on but having her perspective is invaluable and notice what what it is. We sit down, we read it in English together and it's like, wow, this is so powerful. And I'm very, very thankful for her, uh, for her perspective that me being a white, um, a male in the West I'm never going to see things the way she sees. So makes me jealous yeah I I did want to say something about you were talking about different resources and we talked about Bible dictionaries having a a, a really good atlas um, even if they're online Um, uh, web resources are a dime a dozen you got to be careful which resources you go to usually the ones this is what we say in university there's all kinds of stuff out there much of it is devotional Some of it is sort of way out there, which I call
0: that off-roading. So, you know. Yeah, it's exciting over there. And then you go way out there, four-wheeling and having a great time, buttoned and all that stuff. But um, um, I would be careful with web resources
1: that are not um, specific, um, either commentaries or um, resources that are university websites.
0: Okay. So my dad has a saying. He always tells me, you get what you pay for. Yeah. Right. And so, like, That's, a free resource is kind of worth it's not worth any money. It's free. Right. right. So, you're telling me lean into something that has a gatekeeper behind it a university, a publisher, yes. Yes. an author, something like that. Even if it costs you money, it's worth it in your view. Right. Dream.
1: And, and um, you know, you don't need Hebrew and you don't need German and French and all that stuff. There's a lot of really good English stuff. There's great Bible software programs out there that for $100 you get so many English. Uh, resources it's shocking how much you can get um, and you know those different uh, programs you could talk to your people about that and it's nice to have actually, And a lot of these Bible dictionaries they're gonna just all come in one package like the hard Sayings of the Bible and some of those other uh, dictionaries they'll be in a, in a very inexpensively priced Bible software package easily used I have it on my phone so here's the fun thing now. Yeah. I've got it on my phone, and I'm in church, and we're reading a psalm. And that verse really sticks with me, you know? So what I've started doing is I take a screenshot of the verse. Now I have it. Now I can memorize it. I've got it right there. It's so easy. Um, or, you know, uh, I, I can look at what a commentary says about what is a, a goel, the uh, kinsman Redeemer. If I've got two or three Easy, you know, inexpensive commentaries that are predominantly English on there, and maybe a Bible dictionary. All those references will start coming up, and I can find it very quickly.
0: So you're kind of talking in two ways about Bible study. One is that it's just like a significant amount of work, and you got to work hard, and you got to lean in, and you got to chop wood. And then it's so easy; it's at my fingertips. It's on my smartphone. And so as a as a as a listener trying to parse through all this, like, man, I can never be a PhD in Old Testament. Um, how much time would you say a person could and should spend per week in Bible study? Like, if you're going to make it bite-sized, approachable for a, a super commuter in the Bay Area, as we call them, like, how much time should I be devoting to this in my daily life? Like, you're a, you're a pro. This is your life. This is your career. Yeah, this is your calling. I think
1: about it all the time. Um, here's what happens. Once you start studying, pick a book you like, or pick a person, uh, Joseph, uh, Genesis 37 through 50. One of the most incredible uh, biblical passages in the entire Bible. There's nothing like chapter 50 in Genesis. It's so powerful because you and I know that Joseph, he could, and of all people to retaliate, I would feel that he would be justified to retaliate. And yet he, and there's this massive move of forgiveness. In Joseph you could study Joseph and you just start studying it so you have to have it accessible you don't want to carry around a big you know 20-pound chain reference or Dakes Bible or something like that get a Bible on your phone and then you can read it while you're commuting and you can be thinking about it and you read 10 verses and you maybe read it two or three times and and you read it our problem is is that when people read the Bible they want to read like two two or three words and focus on it you know like, Jesus wept. Wow. He wept. I wonder if he had tissues when he was weeping. I wonder if he really wept, or was it like a, just a light little weeping, or big sobs and heaving? What kind of weeping was it? And after about half an hour thinking about weeping, you've wasted all your time thinking about weeping. Not that it's wasted, but you got to get the bigger picture. So you start with reading a chapter or two, and you read it two or three times, and that might take you the whole week worth of commuting. That's great. But in the meantime, if you get it in your brain, it's going to be sitting there in the back burner sort of simmering, and you're going to think about it and think about it and sooner or later you're going to like nervously pick up your Bible dictionary and look up Joseph and all of a sudden it's going to say some stuff, and then you go back and you read it, and it makes more sense. Now the dialogue has started, you've got to be very dangerous because you' sucked into the fun of doing biblical
0: study: So, I love, so I love how this you pattern a you're laying bit out. The time. I love this pattern that you're laying out it teaches us that you don't jump to the sermon, you don't jump to the commentary, you don't jump to the resource. You get into the Bible itself first and lay that foundation as long as it takes.
1: Right, That's like jumping to the devotional. Okay, I got the story of Joseph. I got to have a sermon. I'm going to use, can I get three points out of here? Sure, I can. But you're missing the story and the intrigue. Why is it that Potiphar's wife can't keep her hands off of Joel? That's a big one. Scholars and rabbis, Christian scholars have talked about that for many, many years. Was it his nose? Was it his ears? Maybe it was his eyes. see, the Bible doesn't say, but there's enough in there. And in a good movie, in a good story, what do we love? We love stuff that pulls us in. And the Joseph story is just that. It gives you enough to pull you in, but then you're left not knowing. And that means you need to go out and do some study. And sometimes you'll get a definitive answer. Many times you won't because it's intentional ambiguity. And that's an interesting thing that the Bible sometimes is ambiguous. It doesn't say everything we want to know. So then what do we do? Well, it's time to go to the Lord in prayer. It's time to come to somebody like you or some of the other people on staff, ask the questions, but notice you've done the hard work already. You've put in the homework. Now I can I can have a discussion with my pastor. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, Dr. Lyons, I've so enjoyed this time talking together. I think you've given us so many good tips and tricks and excitement about studying the Bible, whether that's getting back and memorizing first, getting into the richness of the text, connecting with resources. Uh, if one of our listeners wanted to connect with you after the show, do, do you have any books or publications or email or vlog or um, I have snail mail? It's
1: just wlions at edu. I have a book out there. It's very expensive, but it's... Uh
0: I remember you, you, get you, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. It's um, like $9,000. I a
1: good article out there on Rahab. It's called Rahab in Rehab, which um, it's a history of interpretation of Rahab. And that's a very interesting thing. We sometimes forget that different Jew, Christian and Jewish communities um, read these texts very differently and Calvin and Luther and Augustine very early in the Christian text. They, they studied Rahab, and Rahab was, I mean, she was some kind of harlot. She probably owned a brothel, and yet there she is in Matthew in the lineage of, Dave, of Jesus. What do we do with that? That's, that's a hermeneutical problem. Um, and so scholars have struggled with it. I got to write an article, and it's out there. It's available on the web, uh, pretty accessible. And, it's, and we're, I think we're using it now in one of our classes on how to do Bible study in the department, the uh, Research SEM class. Oh, wow. That wasn't my decision, that was their decision. I'm trying to keep up the humility thing
0: here. That's good. That's good. Maybe some of our listeners will go and enroll at ORU and be four year Bible students. Who can yeah, say? Well,
1: they need to talk to you about it because you're, you're, the, you're the man. You know what it's like. Um, I wouldn't be afraid. I. God has made us with strong brains and has given us strong hearts. And all our best ability is not what we know. What we know, what we study, our best ability is our availability. And when the Holy Spirit chose someone to write most of the New Testament, he didn't choose somebody like Peter that was a fisherman. God loved him. He knew how to fish. He knew how to mend nets, but he doesn't know how to write He chose Paul, and Paul studied at the best schools and with the best scholars of his time, and it was all B.C., and the Lord sanctified all that and used it for the church. And so we don't know when we say, yes, I'm going to follow you, we don't know what that means. But having the education and getting the training is absolutely essential. And so I'm glad you're out there, even though I miss miss having you in my department. Man, I miss it.
0: Well, I'm glad being out here. I miss being in Tulsa. Sometimes I feel pulled apart in the different worlds, but I think that's part of yeah. journeying with Christ is you follow God where he leads. And uh, if you miss something that you left behind, that's because it was a blessing while you were there. So yeah. I, yeah. Give, uh, right. I give God glory. And if uh, some of our listeners want to go study under you, man, they should go. If they want to come and uh, learn more about devotional reading through the scriptures, attending our Sunday services, and going through the Shema, come, put in the work, get some skin in the game, and uh, in the game, brother. And we'll talk to it. you, uh, and we will talk to you later. Thanks again for your time, Dr. Lyons. Wow. Did you catch that energy? Did you catch that passion? I almost feel exhausted after having listened to that with Dr. Lyons. I hope one day to be able to exude that same love and passion for the scriptures that he did. I hope that it was encouraging and informative and challenging for you. Uh, And if you caught his challenge, you'll know that you're not done. There's always another step to take. That study is a lifelong process. And no matter where you're at today, your only responsibility is to take just one step further. I love the challenge that he gave us to Read and think about and study a passage over and over and over and go a little bit more slowly, perhaps, than we might otherwise want. Sometimes you want to rush through as if there's a blue ribbon or a trophy handing on the other side of that Bible reading. There's not. We want to get the word into our heart and into our soul. And I know that I'll be taking his challenge to read Deuteronomy 6 and think about and memorize and study and pray through it over the course of our sermon series these next six weeks. I think if we all did that together, we might be surprised at how clearly we would hear from the Lord and what it means to love him and respond to him and be his and transformed into the character of Jesus Christ, his son. I was also so grateful for those resources that he connected us with, and I wanted to reiterate three of them. Uh, The first is those Bible dictionaries. One of the ones that I own is Erdman's Bible Dictionary. Erdman's is E-E-R-D-M-A-N-S. That's the name of a publishing company. So it's Erdman's Bible Dictionary. It's available on Amazon. You can order it. Uh, we may even be able to help you get it through our bookstore should you need that. Uh, this is a, just a series of articles and anthologies that will help bring you up to speed quickly about a concept in the Bible that you are unfamiliar with. You know, they always used to tell you, if you don't know the definition of a word, look it up. And nowadays we just Google it, or maybe we pretend that we actually know what it means. But the Bible Dictionary will bring a quick and easy summation of information right into a one-stop shop. There's also the New Bible Dictionary or the Anchor Bible Dictionary is probably more than you would need for home use. It's also quite expensive. And so I would recommend that you check out the Erdman's Bible Dictionary. Dr. Lyons also mentioned a book called Hard Sayings of the Bible, edited by Walter Kaiser. This is a a decent book to walk through some things that you might be struggling with. All too often, I think people feel like if they don't understand the answer to the question that they have about the Bible, maybe it means that the Bible isn't true, or maybe it means that the Bible's too hard to understand and I shouldn't even try. That's why I love this book by Dr. Kaiser, is it helps us understand that even if understanding the Bible is hard, there's a way to do it. And even if it takes work, the Bible is not afraid of the questions that we ask it. We can ask God basically anything. Nobody has yet fully stumped him. Even if there are still some areas of mystery, and even if people, right-thinking, Bible-believing people can... Understand the Bible a little bit differently than each other, that's okay. That's okay. The Bible is a tool that points us towards Jesus Christ, a trustworthy, reliable, inspired tool, but sometimes a difficult tool to use. Hard Sayings of the Bible by Walter Kaiser will help us get those theological muscles built a little bit. We also talked a little bit about the value of Bible commentaries. One of the ones that I would recommend is the NIV Application series. This series uh, is basically one volume per book of the Bible. So for example, if you wanted to study the book of 1 John, you could go and purchase the NIV Life Application Commentary on 1 John, and that would be a great companion to help you walk through some of the challenges and contours of the history and things of that nature that you would need to fully understand 1 John. If you're going to choose to study Deuteronomy along with us over these next few weeks, there is a volume in the NIV series authored by Daniel Block, and it looks like there's a $5 Kindle version if you're into electronic books, and it's about $30 if you were going to pick up the hardback, a worthy investment to help guide and vivify and encourage your study. But let's never forget, there is no substitute for reading, thinking, praying, meditating on the Bible itself. I hope that our time together today has helped you to do that, that you've experienced some life transformation through seeing Christ in the pages of scripture, and as he has given us a mind to study and think and train, that you will use yours to his glory this week. We're praying for you here at Three Crosses Church. We love you. Always feel free to reach out, and we will see you next week right here at the Three Crosses Podcast.